Welcome to another epic episode of Kazi's Audio Experience. This is the podcast where we're not only going to sharpen our technical skills, but we will learn how to become profitable as filmmakers. And guys, it will mean the world to me if you leave a five-star review and subscribe to this channel for more awesome content. Let's get into it. going on guys another week another live this time i'm going to be going live with jake who's going to be joining us momentarily and uh this is basically a q a session so a lot of you have submitted tons of questions which is amazing um you guys are going to get uh the exact answers that you're looking for uh from me and jake so we'll have multiple different perspectives i'm going to bring on jake now what's going on brother how's it going man Good bro. I'm going to start off and I'm going to ask you a question, you know, that that we were asked and you can go ahead and answer it and then if I have anything to add I'll go and do that. Sweet, sounds good. You guys already know Jake. Um we just uh partnered up to do content uh for Cosnation together and he just put out a first tutorial that is really well received. He's going to be putting out so much more content. So first of all, Jake, amazing bro. So thank you. Absolutely man it was an honor and uh definitely got quite a bit of feedback on that one to to go off of and some some pretty exciting stuff coming up just from people asking more questions based on what we kind of just barely touched on and teased in that video. I'm so pumped to see what you're doing next Monday man it's going to be yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um all right so let's jump right in. Um uh, first question is the usual suspect which is do I need expensive equipment to be a colorist? No and that's starting off you're not going to have expensive equipment unless you are just blessed with a you know a million dollar loan um you're not going to be able to justify spending you know the several thousand dollars on a monitor several thousand dollars on a pc setup or our mac setup um you have to work up to it same with everything when people are getting started with uh, shooting video you don't start off by buying a red or an ari alexa it takes several years and several it takes a lot of clientele and time to justify that expenditure um so you have to make it worth it jack let me ask you this so when you started actually color grading not like shooting color grading what kind of equipment did you have oh boy let's see i had well when i started i mean that's whenever i started initially i wasn't in uh freelance i was just coloring my own projects so it was uh whatever monitor i had at the time if not coloring off of my macbook uh, on the go uh, i was doing a lot less professional work then whenever i decided to start you know trying to build up some clientele around color um i saved up a little bit of money um because i was working on other side projects and once i built up enough i bought the lg b9 um did my best to get it calibrated the best i could just cuz i know it was a reliable monitor uh, a lot of that advice came from you um uh, from that point let's see i used that for quite a while i kind of had a second monitor which was the lg i have one of them behind me still the un or uk850 Uh, there's a 650 and they're pretty decent monitors for 450 bucks you can get them on Amazon i uh, get them used for even less get them pretty decently calibrated um they're not going to be perfect but in, i mean honestly they're they're really solid for the price um so worked up to that and then i ended up getting the Flanders DM240 which is what i'm using now but i mean it was macbook and whatever monitor i could get my hands on at the time that's what i'm saying so like i mean when i started i had an iMac 21 inch mm-hmm. back in 2010 so it was like not even spec'd out it was sort of like a you know entry level iMac and um i was in resolve you know like i mean it took forever yeah, right like yeah. you would do something and it'll take some time so i wasn't as experimental because you would just be kind of afraid of trying out things so people that are asking for if um so let's phrase this question two different ways one is do i need expensive equipment the answer is no another one is like will will it be beneficial to have expensive equipment and the answer is yes because yes. it will open you up uh, to many other possibilities like Jake having the DM240 um you know he can just rely on his screen so much that he doesn't have to eyeball the you know scopes for every single second and make sure that and hope and pray that everything looks proper he knows exactly it's going to look great so i mean those things do matter having a mac pro spec'd out you know i can throw 50 different all effects and just hit play and it goes and then whatever i don't need i can take out uh glow and uh, you know grain and noise reduction all these 
uh, inventions, if you will, came from me just having that machine that I can just like load up everything and it will handle it. And then that taught me to be like, I can do 26 nodes. I can try all these things. And these are possibilities that you wouldn't know otherwise. So I think it was a really good question. Uh, go ahead, Jake, if you have a question. Yeah, let's see. Okay. Um, one that I think we both need to touch on, because uh, we've got some excellent content coming up about this topic, is how do you know when to use color management and how do you decide which color management to go with? Do you go with the, uh, the build your own in your node tree or do you go at the DaVinci YRGB color managed um, through DaVinci Wide Gamut or ACES? What do you think? So, I mean, I will say on this, to be honest, and you probably listen to all the people that I bring on, the jury is still out, right? Like, I mean, you mm -hmm. talk to Stefan from Dark and he'll say, ACES, color manage, you know, all the way. But then you talk to somebody else, like, you know, we see so much content on Mixing Light where they build their own ACES pipeline because there's so many quirks with ACES yeah. that you have to work around it, right? So like, I don't think there's one size fits all. And I feel like that's where people uh, get mistaken, especially that are starting out. They get so caught up in like, hey, I want to become a colorist, but I don't know X, Y, and Z. Like, where do I start? And this is where I say, for people like yourself and I, you know, naivete was our weapon because we just jumped in first and did it. And then as you learn and grow from there, uh, you get better. So what's your take on it? Yeah, I agree. I think it really does depend on the project. And again, you know, there's same thing with whenever you're quoting the price for project, there's so many variables to consider. Um, it, it's a case by case basis. Uh, one, of course, if the client requests it, then there's there's your answer. Um, the other thing for me primarily is, is we have a short turnaround time and we have a ton of graphics that we're going to have to work around because as you know, a lot of times those graphics, you have to do some, some extra work to make them cooperate in an ACES workflow. Um, and then there was, there was one project I did where I shot it myself. It was a 20 second ad shot it on the Komodo and I needed a quick gray cause it had to be done that day. And I just put it in uh, DaVinci YRGB color managed and, and DaVinci wide yeah. gamut. And I think I touched the lift and gain wheel and the entire project was graded. This is how majority of the, you know, TV work is done. Like, mm -hmm. you know, believe it or not. I mean, you know, even like on Game of Thrones, uh, when we brought on the colorist and, you know, Scott was saying that uh, we had two days to turn it around. So like we were just working with the DIT LUT, you know, that was baked right. in you know, to the footage on set and they were bringing that in and doing their, you know, LGG and then printing it from there. So it, it's, again, it's gonna come down to that. Now, if you were talking about something like uh, Joker or Mad Max, I mean, you know, we, we talked to those people too. And like they said, it took time to build those looks. So it just depends. Uh, another good one that I have here, which obviously you, you have so much experience with different cameras, it'll be interesting to uh, have your take on it is, in your experience, which camera log footage give the cinematic look? Is that even a thing? And what's your take on it? Yeah, it's definitely a thing. <laughs> um, it, certain cameras take more work to, to get to that point. Um, but for example, the video that we're dropping with Josh Newman tomorrow, uh, like 24 hours from now, which is that's what's on the screen behind me, uh, we went for not a one-to-one -one match, but a very close match to the Walter Mitty uh, longboarding scene. And the way they shot it played a lot into how it looked, but they shot it on a 1DX Mark III uh, NC log. So it's still a DSLR. It's a photo camera. And the results we got are pretty filmic. Um, I'll argue that. And it was not in a color managed project. Uh, the only color, color management was through a CST. Now, that, that you can get to a filmic look with any camera. But that being said, obviously, Ari Alexa is, is hands down. You drop the, the Rec. 7 or 9 lid on it, it's done. It's beautiful. So yeah, that's the, that's the best camera <laughs> if we're talking about no, money's no object. I will say, you know, like we, we should discuss like the real elephant in the room, which is when we say the cinematic look, what are we basing that on? And mm -hmm. we're basing that on uh, the camera that has the most stakes when it comes to Hollywood, like majority mm -hmm. of the work is done on that. And that is Ari Alexa. And that's where it begins, right? Like 90%, 85% of the productions to this day are still done, like all digital productions are done on Alexa or Ari Alexa or whatever other line in that Ari world. And that's where we get the cinematic look. And that's mm -hmm. why it's easy to drop a Rec. 7 or 9 and we're like, that's the look that we want. And Ari's DNA, if you look up the history, is coming from, it's the closest thing to, to film scan. Yeah. And then again, going back to the film look is the film negative, you know, that we get 
and going back to that, tracing back to that, Ari is getting that, right? That's why a lot of people, pro-colorists love ACES because ACES is built on the film scan and what you and I have been talking about and what I got planned for people, I feel like it's going to be very exciting for people to learn, uh, you know, and see ACES's side that they might not have seen. Like we just talk about ACES and color management and this is where we start and this is where we end. But I feel like there's more to it to let the world in, let people in and kind of just show them, you know, what it really is intended for. And that's going to be very exciting. Um, go ahead, if you have another question. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a huge topic. We spend a couple hours here on that one. Um, yeah, so another one that I have for you is what's one new tool or technique that you've started to dive into and maybe haven't used a whole lot in the past, but are starting to really kind of discover its powers now? I mean, one thing that I'm having a lot of fun with is uh, the RGB splitter nodes. Mm. So what I've been doing is like, I'm literally, you know, splitting the three, right? So we got red channel, uh, you know, green channel and blue channel. Um, and then what you can do is you can literally use all your wheels to subtract or add those yeah. specific colors in your shadows, in your, so this is how it goes. It's broken down in six for each color. So you have your shadow, mid-tone highlights in the log wheels, then you got your lift gamma gain, you know, in your primaries. Mm -hmm. And it just gives you so much flexibility. And one of the recent posts that I made, the, uh, the Sony, the, the music video that I put out where um, I graded the footage that was shot in uh, uh, s tone. When I got the footage, you know, I reached out to the director and I kind of freaked out. I'm like, bro, what do you want me to do? Like, I don't know what I can do with this. And he's like, just do your thing. And then I started messing around with like what I usually do. And then I discovered like the RGB, um, you know, splitter um, nodes, like just literally changed the game and it made it so easy. And another thing that I learned while going through that process was that how easy it was to kind of copy paste and get a very consistent look. It kind of blew my mind how that works. And I feel like it goes back to us kind of hammering that concept of like, you know, take advantage of your primaries. Don't get into your secondaries mm -hmm. right away because primaries are just so organic the way they sit inside like your pore, like the skin tones will have that, you know, color that belongs in the frame. And I feel like a lot of that comes from your primaries uh, instead of like just jumping in and pulling all sorts of different keys and going with that. So that's one of the tools that I've been using recently and loving it. Yeah, that's something, um, Colin Kelly, I believe, is the one who mentioned this. Obviously, he didn't, you know, he didn't come up with this, this technique here, but he most recently, in my mind, referenced it. And that was whatever your normal process is when you're going about whatever the color process is, um, abandon it and go the opposite direction. Just try it and just see what happens because you're probably going to find some new techniques, something that, that gives you a, bit, a little bit different result. Um, and that, that has really taught me the most, I think, with, with diving into Resolve, learning um, new techniques and different possibilities there. And like you just mentioned, that splitter combiner node, there's so many different ways to, to use that tool that, you know, it, it's almost frightening. It, it's like, I'm never going to figure out the full capabilities there. Um, but for me, the tool actually that I'm starting to use more now is what I just referenced in, in, the, in Monday's video is the RGB uh, mixer. And i would used it for certain techniques in the past, but one of the most interesting ways now uh, is for white balance. If you have, or like an underwater shot or just an area where uh, the white balance is so far off, there's just like no information in the blue channel if you look at it. Well, the way you would typically add that white balance would be by adding gain to the blue channel. And you, through the RGB mixer, you can send the image signal up the green channel and apply it through the output of the blue channel. So it's a cleaner way of doing that white balance in those situations where it really, really needs it. Um, so that's one thing. And then not to mention whenever you get to really understand it, the different looks you can create with it at a universal scale, that big paintbrush, uh, that's when it really starts to get pretty fun. No, I mean, even just like what you created, I mean, again, it's it, like that look belongs, you know, when you look at it, you're like, it's embedded, like it's almost like it was shot that way. Uh, you just develop like a look DNA almost. And that came from RGB Mixer. Uh, used to use it a lot when I worked with Speedo and uh, what you just said, like pulling those skin tones. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can do it through the custom curves and, and split everything and then go in there and make those changes. I feel like it's not very consistent with the RGB mixer. Once again, it's kind of sitting in the bones of your image. Mm -hmm. um, so it's so great. Sam Newton is just like, you know, showing his crush on you, man, going nuts. Uh, Don't worry, but, I do not shoot on Nikon, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Shout out <laughs> to his like, latest music video was amazing. Yes. And on top of it, what's really funny is that I just used his code uh, to get 
you know, my first cut shirt. So that's Oh, you're going to cool. love it. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. have some incredible clothes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited. That was awesome. So yeah, bro, keep going. Keep doing your thing. Um, all right. So this is a fun one because I want to know your journey. And, you know, obviously we can keep it brief and then I can share a little bit about mine mm -hmm. too, but everybody has heard mine. The question is, how did you guys land your first freelance job? I said, hey, I'll do it for free. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, I mean, nobody's going to. Well, and, and somebody also I heard they were talking about public speaking and they were they were asked, like, you know, how do you know when you're ready to start teaching somebody or or, or public speaking? And it's, nobody's going to care until they ask. Like you have to do something. You have to show something for yourself before somebody comes to you and asks for for more of what you've done. And so getting your foot in the door by doing projects for free, which I know there's a lot of debate nowadays somehow on doing free work when you have no experience in that area, um, that that's not a good idea. But that's why I'm here today. Uh, and Sam Newton's one of the the first people that I actually reached out to because I knew the the industry and the field that I wanted to work with, and that's led to countless relationships. Um, not to mention one goofy friend over there. So. Um, yeah, doing free work just to, to build up your portfolio and, and to lead to paid work um, and just being a genuine human being, uh, looking out for other people. That's, that's how you get your foot in the door and, and land more jobs in the future. I think you're an absolute, like, you know, example, the perfect poster child for like how to approach and how to go about it too, because you have such a tact, you know, behind your entire madness. And I feel like that's important, right? Because with the amount of people that probably you and I get hit up every day that, you know, people that want to help us or, you know, want us to mentor them and everything. There's two different ways to go about it. There, there's a way that comes from uh, pure desperation, which nobody likes, like nobody likes. Like if, if I come off desperate with a girl that I've been with for 14 years and married to for nine years, she's going to be like, I freaking hate your face. Walk away. <laughs> you know, so it's like, it just does not work ever with anyone. And then there's another way what Jake is talking about where, you know, it, it's basically a value-based proposition, right? Like, I mean, he's already built some presence. He's, he's put in the work. And then when he goes to Sam and he goes, yo, talented dude, like you're doing this. I think it would be a great collaboration. You want to, you know, do something together. And then if Sam clicks on his channel and look at it or, or on his page and checks it out, you know, he, it's, not, it's not a misfire. And I think that's one of the things that are very important. Like there are so many people that hit me up that are, I'm not going to disclose anybody's name, especially from my FCM fam, but recently got an email and the dude is like, I've been hitting up 30 people a day for the last year, uh, following every single thing that you said, nothing is happening. And then um, I, I was in New York, so I didn't reply back. And then five days later, he emailed me again. And he's like, have you given up on your you know, family or blah, 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 something like that. And then I just wrote him back and I'm like, listen, that kind of hurts. And second of all, I'm like, what you need to understand is that, you know, look at Jake, like, look at Daniela, look at Brian, look at these guys that are really putting in work and it actually shows. I'm like, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be a dick, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is that you actually have to put in work. You can't just ask for it uh, without people seeing any value in it. Like you're not going to get anywhere. So, you know, that is also a very important thing to just uh, know. Yeah. And another thing on that topic, when you mentioned everything is always value-based, um, whether you're doing it for free, you have to find, you have to find a way to present that value and offer more value than you ask. Uh, and then whenever you're doing a paid job, you have to provide more value than you ask. Um, and, and that starts from one year portfolio. So that whenever they go see what you can offer, they see that you've actually accomplished something already. Uh, and two, in, in what you provide to them, you have, there has to be value there. And then going forward, you know, knowing that they can actually count on you very important that's so important and like one of the biggest things that you just said is like everything has to be value-based because even when we buy a 30 dollar book right like mm -hmm. we we want it to worth millions of dollars hundreds of thousands like depending on your ambition you're not paying for a 30 dollar book like you want more out of it when you buy a five thousand dollar monitor you want to make sure that you do enough projects that not only you pay that off but you make 10 times that Right. So like you have to think about the same thing when somebody else is hiring you, they're paying for your services, you know, low key, they're expecting the same exact thing. Um, uh, so many people like just bitching and moaning about like, you know, client wanting this and client wanting that. I always say there's multiple ways to look at it. Uh, my hardest clients are my favorite clients, um, especially because when the project is done, I look back and I go, holy hell, like, you know, Rick was super hard and he was like, just 
so particular about what he wanted, but I ended up taking a lot from it too. Yeah. Again, it's going to depend. Like if somebody is green and they don't know what they're looking for, they're going to throw too many suggestions. And if you're experienced as a colorist, you'll know the pros from the you know people that are green. Mm-hmm. Um, go yeah. ahead, bro. If you have anything to add, do it. Or if you have any questions, throw, throw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's one, one thing you mentioned right there is that a lot of times working with certain projects and certain clientele, sometimes... Well, sometimes, you know, the, the more expensive client, you send it off the first pass, like, cool, love it, thanks, here's the, here's the money. Uh, and then the cheaper clients often, you know, usually have a little more uh, nitpicking to do. Um, so that is one of those stereotypes that actually does kind of turn out to be true. Um, but there's other times where, you know, you may have created a look that you really, really fell in love with, you send it off, and they're like, eh, we hate it, we like to go this direction. And honestly, your response to that critique, that immediate uh, no, is going to play a huge part and the end result and also how you feel about the project when you're done with it. Cause if you are just kind of like shrugging it off, like that's a terrible suggestion and your mentality is going into that, like, sure, I'm gonna do exactly what you said. It's gonna look terrible. Then it's gonna look terrible and that client's never gonna call you back. But if you say, okay, that's interesting. Let's, let's run with that and let's see how we can work it in. And you find a neat way to, to incorporate their ideas while maintaining the, the integrity of the image and keeping things looking nice. That's when you're gonna have, you're gonna learn more that way uh, and you're going to leave them a lot more satisfied. They're going to come back you know, every time. They're going to love working with you. Um, so that sums up that topic there. But uh, another thing, let's see. Uh, what is the favorite ways to use log wheels other than just balancing out the shadows? Uh, my favorite way to use log wheels besides uh, balancing out shadows, it, it, it's very helpful to create built-in DNA with log mm-hmm. wheels because once you create the low and high range and where you want to go with those, um, our recent uh, feedback video that I just did, they were going for a shutter, shutter island look. And the guys that got the closest are the people that messed the most with their log wheels because they pretty much opened up their low range. Because if you look at shutter island, it's such a push look, but mm-hmm. in the lower range, it's, it's balanced but at the same time, there's some red in there. And that's what contrasts the teal up top, right? right. So I mean, people that were like really getting in there and messing with those uh, got a very close look. So I absolutely love that. And I feel like um, the way that I've been using the log wheels in particular is that more than the actual uh, you know, track balls, I've been using the knobs. And that's what I'm saying, right? Like, I mean, when without ruining anything, but what you got, plan, you know, in the, in the next couple of weeks, I'm super excited to see um, how you put it together and what people get out of it, because that's one of the things, right? Like with, with the panel, there's so many different ways to go about, um, you know, one parameter that you want to change. Like, honestly, if recently you look at me working on my panel, I'm barely touching the trackballs. I'm using the wheels and mm-hmm. then I'm using the knobs. Uh, for live gamma game because it's so granular right yeah like i mean if you're using the the trackball it's very organic like you're going off of your feels but if the client is saying i need warmth in the highlights i go boom boom like i just like mm-hmm. i'm in my log i'm opening up my high range and i'm just adding warmth right there and then i'm controlling it like where do you want the warmth they're like not too much on the face then i control the high range and kind of you know get in there so i mean that's a long answer but what about you uh, well, I was going to ask on top of that, do you think that your methods for using the log wheels or the way that you actually interact with the panel, you go into the, the dials instead of the knobs and the, and the trackballs, do you think that's changed since you went to the advanced panel for the mini? Yes. Yes. Like yeah. even going from mini to advanced because advanced has everything right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's like knobs. It, it's almost like it encourages you to use knobs more than uh, mm. the trackballs. And that's what I'm saying. Like when I had the mini... Uh, it was a no-brainer, uh, you know, just go use the ball, you know, track balls. But like here, uh, it's all there and it changes the entire game. Like, I mean, like this panel, every day that I use it, when I look at the invoice that I paid for it, um, like seriously, it's crazy. But I never for one second regretted. Like, I mean, you know, Jill is the one to blame because I asked her, I'm like, <laughs> I'm about to buy this. Should I do it? And she's like, no questions, no questions. She's like, it's one of the wow. best things that you can get. And I'm like, all right, I'm sold, you know? Hmm. Well, that's, uh, hmm, that's rough. I guess I'm gonna have to look into that and start saving up for that as well. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably just sell a car and then I'll just walk everywhere. Yeah, but, there you uh, go. Move to yeah, New York. So for me, log wheels, and this kind of ties in with the HDR wheels because they are such a more log wheels on steroids. 
Um, yeah, that granularity. And a lot of times for me, it's working on the sky. Uh, sometimes a I do a lot of film looks, obviously, and sometimes that means almost like a clipped out faded sky. Um, so I will leave the, the high range to where it just barely tapers out of that sky luminance into some of the background, maybe, uh, or in the forehead, it's where there's some light bouncing off of the talent. Uh, and I'll start to push like just some complimentary skin tones there, whether it's a, an orange, a salmon, uh, or a teal look. That's, that's for me, that's one of the, the most effective ways. Um, and one of the I guess one of the better tools for emulating that, that film roll off. Um, and then another way I use it is on certain footage that maybe I don't know the exact log space, if it's some kind of compilation thing and, you know, clients just like, Hey, we don't know what that was shot on. It was three or four years ago. We can't remember. Um, sometimes applying the CST leaves a little bit of room for there, you know, to be some added contrast, but the gain will pull up too much of the midtone. So just going in before you have that, uh, that CST conversion there, when you're still in the log space, the log wheels, you can taper that high range and then pull up just the upper mids as a you know, quick little solution to, to get some more refined contrast there. I couldn't agree more. I feel like the HDR palette, I'm having a ton of fun and uh, there's so many granular aspects to that. So like even in the last webinar, I showed people how you can change the profiles of like, how do you want this HDR palette to behave? Do you want it to behave like Ari Log? Do, do you want it to behave like an ACES space? And you can do all of that on top of whatever color managed or unmanaged uh, pipeline mm -hmm. you got going on. So I feel like it gets a bit more complex, but once you kind of tap into those things, uh, you'll be surprised to learn that one is better for the sky, the other one is better for the midtone. So like, yeah, I think yeah. HBR palette is gonna be something that the more you play with, the more you stumble upon things that are going to blow your mind. And it's going to be one of those that's going to help you create looks that are almost impossible to achieve otherwise. So it's very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, see, I actually just had a couple of questions that popped up that I think were really on point uh, with something that we're going to be working on coming Go up. And that's a lot more of the why behind the decisions that we make. Um, and you probably do a better job of this than I do right now, which is just kind of annotating your, your thought process and showing the mistakes that you make along the way. You know, I'm, I'm more of the person that I want to make every second uh, value packed. And sometimes that has the opposite effect. People need to see the mistakes you make uh, as you're going through the grading process. Whenever I have those screen recording videos, sometimes I'm going to make more intention to leave in those pauses and, and those areas where I backtrack uh, on some of the decisions I make, because that is just as important as the how is the why. And a lot of times, you know, me as a beginner, I was you know, wondering like, hey, why did you choose this tool over this tool? And the answer is because I felt like it. <laughs> so um, we tend to overcomplicate whenever we don't know or we don't understand. And the truth of the matter is like a lot of times the reason I'll choose one tool over another is either I, I, just because I feel like it or it's just that it's instinctive. You know, I know that this tool is going to give me this result. So I'm just going to immediately go to that one. And that just comes with a whole lot of practice and time spent on the surface and, and on the, uh, the actual Resolve software. I mean, I just couldn't agree more. I feel like you just hit it on the head. Like when I was first started out, you know, starting out like grading, I just knew three things. So I will just always do it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's so much more fun because the more tools you have, in your kit, like when the client comes to you and they were like, we're going for that look, uh, you know, we're, we're going, because then you get better at researching too. And then when you put in the time to research, it makes more sense. So like, you know, you, you think about um, Moonlight and when you look up and re read on, you know, Moonlight and how it was created, they used, you know, they concocted like a lot of different LUTs on top of each other. There's like three, four LUTs yeah, going yeah. on in like a scene and you will go, well, the color grading gods will hate you and you'll, you know, just like rot in hell if you do that. Uh, but then you see something like that and everybody's like, can you show me how to do uh, the moonlight look? And you're like, well, that's how it was done. So I mm -hmm. feel like you wouldn't know that until you're experienced enough to kind of know how to kind of, you know, take the bull by its horn, if that makes any sense. You know, you just have to be comfortable with all the tools uh, to kind of mess around with that and be like, we can get there, you know, we'll get pretty close and it'll be really good. Uh, so you have to put in like time and practice. Um, yeah, you know who I think is really good at that. And, and you actually did an interview with them was Keenan Giovanni. Yeah. Um, Giovanni and he, and that live is on your, on your YouTube channel. So if you haven't seen it, I recommend going to watch that one because he, 
um, does a great job explaining his process while keeping things super simple. But he is somebody that is not afraid to sell you just like, you know, we stacking LUTs. We're using the glow effect tool to, to set black points and just using different tools in ways that you wouldn't like orthodoxly think about them. Right. Um, and that's that you, you, once you get to the understanding stage where you have a basic understanding of how certain tools work, then you start getting into the experimental stage where you start wondering, I wonder if this could push this. You start dreaming in node language right. and you just start kind of thinking, oh, th this tool could actually be used to get this effect. And then just that intuition starts to become second nature. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like I was just talking to one of my directors recently and he's like, Kazi, you know, you, you produce so much work and you're working so much. So when you get to that point, do you still have time to learn? And I said, you know, when you get to this point, you learn by two things. One, by practice, you just keep getting better and you want to keep pushing yourself that way. So that's number one. And two, I said, you learn by it, like, at least I learned by interviewing people. And when they talk to me, mm -hmm. uh, my level of, you know, experience is, it's, it's like sitting on a different level. So when I'm listening to Stefan from, you know, the, the guy who graded dark, and when he keeps, you know, emphasizing on like, hey, let's stop thinking about color. Let's start thinking about texture. Like that mm -hmm. opened me up. Like I couldn't go to sleep for days. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like going nuts, bro. Like it's 3 a.m. And I'm just thinking about like, uh, in, in how many ways can I use it? So like recently the spot that I graded uh, for a golf company, um, we went nuts. So like, you know, when my director saw, saw it, like he's like, dude, how did you, he knows a little bit about grading just mm -hmm. enough. So when he gets the project file, he can go in there and kind of go what kind of stuff was going on. And he's like, how were you coming up with these ideas to have like all of this that you got going on? And I'm like, dude, Stefan, I'm like, when he just, he just opened my brain up by just saying like, Hey, like, let's just stop, you know, thinking about color. Let's start thinking about texture and see what mm -hmm. we can create there. Because I feel like that is like a layer, you know, that next layer to like what color grading is. you know, how do you keep stacking that on? Yeah. Texture is super important. And, and that's one of the, especially when you're doing film or adding grain, um, I talked about this in, in the tutorial on Monday is that your grain sharpness matches your image sharpness. And that's a huge thing because that's the quickest way to sell an effect. It's kind of like if you add green screen and you see a little bit of the green on their, their hair, like some of that reflection is turning into a rim light. That's just a dead giveaway and it just screams imperfection and right. unprofessional. Um, so yeah, texture is huge. Uh, massive, massive something that, that takes a lot of gradual learning to, to perfect. And uh, on top of that, one of the things that I used to think, and this applies to everything, not just coloring, I used to think that, hey, I'm, one day I'm gonna find this one answer to a question I have. And that one answer, that's gonna make me into a pro right then and there. That revelation they'll have, that's gonna make me a pro. And the truth is, becoming a pro requires a million revelations. And I'm gonna put that on a shirt someday because that's, that's what it I is. It's that. like, it's kind of like the 10,000 hours thing. There's not one little thing that you learn that makes you go, whoa, you know, fireworks. Um, it's, it's having that happen hundreds and hundreds of times and all those little, you know, little bits of information that you get to just throw into your system and then you can use them, uh, you just dispense them whenever you need them. Uh, it's, it's a continuous process. You're always learning. If you're not learning, you're not growing. Um, and I think everybody, maybe except for Stefan Sonfeld, is, is still learning to some extent. Right. And you, you have that sharp increase as you begin and then you start to plateau and then you break through the plateau yep. and you break through. It's just, that's how it is. I mean, one of my personal hacks that I do, whether it's for with books or it's for tutorials um, or just articles that I really like, um, I'll bookmark them. And what I do is um, I have quarterly reminders set. I'll go back mm -hmm. and eat it yeah, up yeah. and like it's my first time. I'm not joking. Like I listen and read books back to back that are like eight hours long. And then I might like listen to it at 2x and like just listen to it in four hours. Yes. And sometimes what I do is first thing in the morning, exercise, coffee, four hour block. And like, I'm just listening to that book again. And I got my laptop in front of me. I'm just taking notes, like just jotting yep. down notes. Um, and that's something that I do. And when it comes to repetition, I think learning is important. I don't know where I was listening or I was watching a documentary or something where they said like uh, they did an experiment and they had, uh, you know, two different uh, groups. So one group is, you know, playing basketball to get better at basketball for a week. The other group, it's like literally a scientific experiment that makes no sense, but apparently it's real. So one group is like playing basketball to get better. The other group is in a room thinking about 
playing basketball and getting better, like working out every scenario, everything, right? Like strategizing. And they said after a week when they put them on a court together, it was a tie. So they pretty much talked about the power of like our mind and how yeah. important that is to like practice it to a point where you're like literally feel like it's hurting. My brain mm -hmm. is hurting. That's as important as like the muscle memory. Like, you yeah, know, we're all the yeah, there's, a, there's a great saying. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And uh, the brain is is incredibly powerful. The, if the brain thinks you're dead, you die. Like that's scary to think about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, sometimes I get... I, I well, one of the things, the principles I, I, I've come to understand, um, probably in, in large part, thanks to my dad, is that everything is the same. And you can look at that two ways. One is like kind of pessimistic, like oh, that sucks. You know, what's the point of learning anything new? The other thing is, if you learn certain rules that apply to one one area of your life, whether it's uh, sports or your work or you know, meal planning, the chances are there's certain elements of those rules that apply to everything. And it. so because everything is the same, whenever I start to learn a new skill, which I try to learn at least a new skill every month, um, those you get to carry over some of the, the skill sets from the, the prior new thing that you learned. Um, and I get super weirdly in depth with it. I'll listen to, I won't listen to music for a week because I'll just be on podcasts and, and YouTube tutorials and YouTube videos. And I'll just be driving to Chick-fil-A with those things playing in the background. So I'm constantly immersed in whatever that field is at the time. Uh, even if it's, if it's aces or if it's, you know, wide gamut, if it's uh, HDR grading, if it's fishing, if it's cooking, whatever it is, I'm gonna get super, like to the point my wife thinks I'm insane. Um, so, hey, can you stop, we're, we're asleep now and it's playing under your pillow. So please quit listening to how to cook fish. Um, yeah. yeah, so you just, it takes over. And to some extent, I think if you really wanna be good at anything, it takes that level of insanity uh, to become an expert and to become at a certain level, probably the level you want to be. It takes a level of insanity. I think your dad said something really beautiful. And I think it's so simple and so profound because that's something, that's the rule everybody should live their life by. And just like you, I'm ass crazy. It's like, if I'm <laughs> buying a luggage, I'll do so much research about luggage all of a sudden. Like I know nothing about packing or luggages or anything. And all of a sudden, Watches. I'll do so much. What is it? Watches. Watches. So like you see, right? Like I'm going nuts, bro. Like you go on my YouTube channel right now. There is nothing else. Like when I was buying my car, the only thing was there was 911, 992, mm -hmm. like, you know, C4. Like it was all about that. Now it's all about watches. And my wife is like, what is wrong with you? But she's like, I don't care. And then yeah. I don't play around. Like I am very like reckless with it, right? Like she'll be like, how much did you pay for this? And I'm like, this much. She's like, what? Like yeah. you just got into it. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and the way, like, and what your dad said, right? Like all the skills come into play. Like I take a lot of pride in like my negotiating skills, you know, Craigslist hustle, you know, eBay life that I know that, you know, and she knows that too, that I'm like, hey, whatever I get, it doesn't matter. Tomorrow, tomorrow I'm over it. I, when I sell it, I'll actually make money. So I yeah, just don't yeah. care. That's why I have, I never have fear of buying mm -hmm. things because I'm just like, it doesn't matter when I sell it, I'm going to make more money. Like right now, my Porsche has gone up like $45,000 in value. So like that never happens to cars, but because mm -hmm. of the pandemic, this happened. Yeah, you yeah. Know, there's not enough produ production right now. So mm -hmm. it's like my car is worth 50000 more than what I paid, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, doing your research and never paying retail, that goes a long way. Never, never pay retail for every, anything. And that's what I tell people, right? Like so many people probably ask, ask you the same thing. I think that's a good uh, segue to the next question too, uh, which is like most basic equipment uh, to start color grading. So before we even talk about the most basic equipment, what Jake just said, like there's like, you can pay the sticker price MSRP on a base equipment, or you can pay the same price for that base equipment for a intermediate setup. Like if you buy it from eBay or if you buy different mm -hmm. parts and kind of learn to put it together, whatever it is, right? Like one of my crazy jam packed machines was a Hackintosh. It was, it was a mess, right? Like it was a mess. It broke all the time, but the power that I got for the money, like unparalleled, right? Like yeah. nothing came close to it. So, um, I think we already talked about equipment so much, so, so I want to kind of keep it condensed. But let me ask you as well, uh, if you want to uh, just literally kind of shout out a few things that people can get to kind of get going, uh, you know, in their color grading journey. What would be the few things that you need to kind of just get started as a colorist? Yeah, well, like you said, um, you can get a, a 2021 Camry or you can get a four-year-old BMW that's been used and driven a little bit.
instead of getting a, uh, a brand new iMac or a brand new MacBook or brand new custom built PC, do the research. I just built one on my own, which I was very committed to never do that. Um, but you know, build your own, uh, find ways to save money there, buy used parts. Cause I know there's a little bit of a risk, but the chances are the risk you take is going to outweigh the actual overspending if you were to buy everything new and hundred percent reliable way. Um, and actually, uh, Chris Doe has a saying, all profit is assumed from risk. So <laughs> that might be a little bit exaggerated here, but still has some relevance to it. Um, but just to, to name a couple pieces of equipment, you need a monitor, you need a keyboard and mouse, you need a computer. doesn't really matter what it is with the M1 max. I mean, there's really no excuse anymore. You can go with Apple and have the cheapest option for the most power. Um, get a, a decent, you don't even have to have a calibrated monitor to start with. Um, just get a monitor and just kind of reference it with other people, other, you know, iPhone or iPad, just make sure it's not terribly far off. Um, and then the biggest additional upgrade I would say, other than the full version of Resolve is a Stream Deck XL. The, they have the smaller versions, but the XL is really where you start to get more for your money. And you can probably get it for half off on eBay if it's used, even if it's missing a button, you're still not doing too bad. So uh, yeah, the, the, I guess once, if you really have some money, maybe get the, the micro panel, but that Stream Deck XL is the best way to go. I think that's a very practical advice. And yeah, those Stream Decks, and especially that you can clump them together, you can have two on each side, yeah. like one on each side, and just like- And the folders? Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, and folders, like it goes nuts. Um, I think I will, in terms of like specifics, I would say the best bang for the buck if you're on the Mac side, and I like to talk about things that I'm using and have experience with recently, um, I have used PCs in the past, but for the Mac side, I feel like iMacs are probably the best bang for the buck, especially like the new M1 chip, you know, with the 24 inch ones, um, you know, on, on, uh, on paper, uh, they're not very sexy, but you know, my MacBook Pro 13 inch, the first M1 chip that they had in there um, is unbelievable. It's, it's like mind blowing. And I'm talking about, especially when you're kind of starting out, um, you know, the, the Mac mini, is an absolutely killer. And you can find good deals on eBay on that. So like the M1 chip, Mac mini, get that loaded up with the most memory because Resolve is like, you know, RAM hungry. Yeah. So do that. And then, you know, the, the monitor that Jake mentioned earlier, which is the UL650 or UK850, one of those LG monitors, look them up, whichever one you can find cheaper. Sometimes you'll be blown away that you can go on Best Buy and find the open box that will be cheaper than pre-owned on eBay. So, you know, you just have to kind of get set. Do your research. Yeah. Do your research, like take your time and you can save some serious money there. And literally, if you have that box, let's just say a Mac mini and with M1 chip, you have that monitor, you're, you're sitting at like little, little around like 1200 bucks or something like that. That is nothing to like start your journey as a colorist. And then you get the stream deck. Once again, you can find it used somewhere. Uh, and definitely don't skim um, on that and don't go with the smaller one. It's kind of useless. The, the smaller one that I have right now to my left is literally uh, Chromecast bookmarks and just like certain yeah. apps, like if I want to open Photoshop or something like that. Um, so I think that would be a good start and my recommendation for the equipment. We just covered two questions. The other one was like, you know, uh, recommendations for like uh, entry level monitor. Yeah, the LG UK UN the 850 650 they're pretty much all the same panel in terms of the actual screen the display there a lot of the difference is the packaging and uh, one version has the USB-C connectivity which if you want to run two monitors and you have a MacBook with USB-C out that can also charge it so you plug in one cable you have the USB-C hub in the back that you run in your peripherals with that's a really good setup um, it's really quick and easy to just plug in your, your, your MacBook all your peripherals work you have the sound that works just with one cable. Um, and, and if you had the extra money, I would say go with that, the USB-C option. I love that. Um, I do wanna mention one thing, the video that I'm gonna be doing this Thursday, I'm not gonna give away what it's on, but the question came from uh, one of you guys. And that was, um, you know, when I, like if somebody's working on a laptop and they have a 1080p screen, they're saying that when we put a four up scopes on the screen, it takes too much real estate, which is true right? Like a four up takes a lot of real yes. estate. And then they were like, when we minimize it, it goes into one up, which is not enough. Uh, so what, how do you get around that? Um, I'm going to be doing a video on that. And I feel like the solution that I'm going to share um, is probably the most practical uh, for the money, for the versatility. So, you know, get excited about that. It's going to be pretty cool. 
Very cool. Um, did you say the uh, for taking up less screen real estate for the user with only one screen? Right, because usually yeah. what people will do is like, you know, ideally you want a four up, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, one, one option is to go to two, two up, you know, instead of four up, but still it's, it's extending out on the side, meaning yeah. if you're doing something with custom curves, you have to constantly move it up and down. So it becomes mm -hmm. kind of annoying. Uh, and if you go to one up, it's just not enough. I mean, you can work off of it, but it's kind of useless. Um, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be sharing some of, uh, you know, my insights on like just experience, especially traveling and having something that is just right there. And how can you get it to work seamlessly? Um, you know, no lag, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to be talking about that. I think that's pretty exciting. Um, we already covered how to find clients. If you have any question, go for it. And I'm going to sift through and find something else. Yeah, one of the good ones, uh, two that I have here, which we can actually make videos on was one uh, texture tools in Resolve. Uh, there's ways to increase texture. And then the other one was, let's see if I can find it here, uh, regarding CSTs and non-log footage, um, or pros and cons of working with CST on non-log footage and the best way to match it to other cameras. Well, using the CST is gonna be the best way to match it with other cameras because uh, if you know what you're doing, it'll put that non-log footage into at least the same language as your other camera's footage. Uh, and then from there, once you have a similar starting point, your grade should apply properly and you'll have an easier time shot matching there. I do want to just touch base on that really quick and, you know, not, not go too much into detail, but like when people say, uh, you know, every video that I've ever seen in my entire life when I wasn't really a pro colorist is that, um, you know, go into CSD, take your red, take your, you know, Alexa and uh, just apply the CSDs and all of a sudden you don't need to do anything. That That's not true. Like no, if, no. if the Alexa has a, a little green, tint in its DNA, that's going to be there. Red is probably the most accurate when it comes to if you expose it properly or, or you white balance it properly, it comes out looking very clean. So keeping that in mind, you know, your sky is going to be cyan in one, your sky is going to be pure blue in one. Um, that gap is not going to be close to a CSD. So I want to make sure that people understand that the whole reason why everybody pushes and says use CSD is because once you use CST, Resolve, majority of the tools in Resolve are based around Rec. 709, uh, you know, uh, color space. Meaning mm -hmm. like when you're moving your lift gam again and everything, it's moving in that color space. So the reason why people say, hey, you know, work in color managed. So like every tool behaves exactly the same from shot to shot. But once again, that does not mean that if your footage is shot with S-Log3, all of a sudden your sky matches exactly like Canon. So I right. feel like that is you know, a, a big, you know, issue that people don't understand that. And they just go, you know, oh, why didn't you use CSD? Because it should have been so easy to just match them like that. No, it doesn't work like that. It's just that your tools are going to behave similarly for two different cameras, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. The CST and color management is not a one step fixes everything. It doesn't do the job for you. Um, your AI is really good, but it's not all the way there yet. Um, right. And I think when it does come, it's going to be mostly just handling the boring stuff that, that we don't want to be wasting too much of our time on as artists. Um, we had a question here about being a female colorist in the industry. I, I would love to hit on that because, um, as you know, some of the best colorists in our industry are females. Um, I think that it, it is actual science that women have better receptors for you know, the cones and rods in our eyes they are better at deciphering colors and can pick up on smaller differences. So as a female, you do have a technical advantage, um, at least statistically speaking. So that's really cool. Now I do hate that the industry is absolutely male driven. There's no doubt about that. I think like 99% of the viewers and probably 80% of my audience is male. Um, and I think, I mean, I for one would just, with I, every time I see a female trying to tackle this industry and kind of come in here as, as a minority and as a uh, underdog, I just get amped up and I try and you know, just root them on and let them know, hey, you have every every chance a guy has. Um, I would try and use that that minorityism there. The fact that you are coming in as an underdog, use that to your advantage and uh, you know exploit the fact that there are fewer of you because the scarcity there, you, know, you can actually use that to your to your advantage. I think I I want to touch base on that too because you know si similar thing right like I mean ninety or eighty nine percent of my audience is you know male. Um, and the thing that I notice, especially in the FCM group and when we do weekly challenges, dude, like 
most of the girls that participate, they are well above average. They're like yeah. <laughs> seven to nine. Whereas dudes will like hit ones all day, every day. Mm -hmm. They're like, what yeah. the hell is wrong with you? Like, what's going <laughs> Maybe on? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe girls are just better at deciding what they're good at. So there's fewer girls that go into it because it's all, you know, we're all equally as good at it. But there's just fewer girls that are that good. And so the girls, instead of trying to, to be in that, they just like, yeah, we'll leave that for somebody else. And the guys are like, no, I'm going to get better at it. And that maybe never do. <laughs> but um, but I, don't I think know. it's like the attention to detail too, right? Like, I mean, it, it is just, it's it, it, without fail, right? Like, it doesn't matter. You can tell me the same thing about your wife. Like, my wife, like, attention to detail is just next level. Every single producer mm -hmm. that I've ever worked with was way more level-headed than dudes. Dudes yes. can get amped. Yes. They get worked up you're worked up, they're worked up, and it's like just like a freaking stupid brawl, makes no sense, whereas girls, they just come in from that perspective like this, you know, where everybody is chill, everybody's calm, yes. things get done. So yes. I think that kind of leads into, you know, the color grading floor too. So, I mean, I'm with you, bro. Like, I will highly encourage, um, you know, whoever, if there is like, you know, 5% of our audience, like females that are <laughs> listening, that do it. Because I think at the end of the day, uh, you and I, Jake, both know where the world is headed, right? Like, we're pretty much cutting the middleman, right? Like, let's let's mm. call the middleman the company. So mm. now, nobody is hiring nobody through a company. Like, you know, Sam Newton, you know, gets, you, you know, reached out to by Jake. He goes, I like your work. You say, I want to work with you. You guys work together. It's artists directly connected to the colorist. There is no agency involved or anything like that. So I feel like those walls are just taken down. Uh, you know, if I see something that I'm like, hey, I'm too busy, I can't attack that, I will just, without even thinking, hit up Daniela and I'll be like, and I've done that multiple times. I'm just like, mm -hmm. hey, do you want to take this? Go take it. Like never once in my head, I'm thinking, ooh, but I have like 20 dudes that I can ask <laughs> one girl, you know? Yeah. It just, I think at the end of the day, like the world is headed in that direction where we're kind of just like colorblind, we're like genderblind. We're just like looking at what feels right. And mm -hmm. it's like, if you're the right person for this specific job, if, if there's a grading gig that's close to Walter Mitty look, I'm coming to you, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's a jam. <laughs> if, if, if there is something that's close to Emily, like, and it's like really pushed and crazy, I'm going to Daniela because I'm like, mm -hmm. that's the girl. Like, hey, take it, go nuts. You, you yeah. always want to yeah. go nuts with your looks, go do it. So I feel like, you know, that's one thing that I would say. Yeah, I think that's something is important to note is that men and women are not the same. We're not supposed to be. And I think as a, as a female colorist, you need to find those things that make you better as a female and, and use that to, to you know, insert yourself into those pro projects there and say, hey, here's what I'm really good at. Um, and I think if anybody is not taking you seriously because you're a woman, then you don't need to be working with them anyways. No, that, that's how I simplify it. I just like shot myself in the foot, uh, a really big agency and this uh, dude that reached out to me, agent that wanted to get me under his wing. Um, I absolutely loathe the way he approached the whole transaction. Mm. And I just pretty much told him about himself. I mean, I mean, I got a reputation <laughs> for like burning my bridges. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I do it like twice a day, but I pretty much just absolutely just gave it to him. And he was like, did not see it coming. Like was blown away and i just told him i'm like like you know i'm like no offense but if you take all the people that you represent who the hell are you who knows mm -hmm. you know and it's just as simple as that it's just like you know you like it's really easy to put people in their place i feel like the whole hollywood vibe is just set up so wrong where it's just like if you're going to be part of this clique then we can do whatever the hell we want and you're just going to run with it and i feel like we should all work together to change it. It's not going to be just one person. It's not going to be just Jake. It's not going to be just me. It's going to be a lot of us saying no's and actually taking L's along the way. But at the end, uh, you know, we're going to win. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a collective shift in perspective to, to fix that and just, you know, encourage. I, I love seeing more females come into the industry and I love that the barrier for entry is getting lower and lower. Um, it just it just opens a lot more doors and the fact that there is no more gatekeepers the fact that the internet exists and you can put your thoughts into the world and your your creativity into the world um without having somebody say yes it's good enough or no it's not good enough that's that's huge you just said it bro like i i wanna let's end it on this question which is like the most dreaded question but it just gets asked all the time so i want to i want to give it to you mm -hmm. and then i'll i'll give my two cents but um 
should there be a specific amount of nodes um, if I'm working on a professional job? Like, the, is that a thing? And if it's not a thing, then can you just give your two cents to like, what are the quintessential like four, five, six nodes that you should actually have, even if you Ooh, say that's it's a power yeah. break? Yeah, that's really good. Um, well, okay, so I'll first answer. Well, this node tree behind me is like 40 nodes and it's um, 45 oh. shots in that timeline. And most of the nodes like, where you would start saying, oh, this is too many nodes. Well, it's probably just windows that are there as templates that I can go to without having to create it. And so by not having to create a new node on every shot and having that fixed node tree, I can jump through, know exactly where everything's gonna be. If I'm making changes on one specific node, when I hit next clip, that node is already selected. So I'm not gonna mess with other changes I've already made. Um, so in a sense, it's almost like insurance. Like, no, I probably don't need 45 nodes here. I'm probably only gonna use eight or nine, but I might not be using the same eight or nine nodes on every shot. So you need those there just as, as almost as placeholders. Um, and the number of nodes per project is different. Obviously this basically I'm thinking of it as a commercial because I can spend so much time on each shot here. Um, that's going to play a big factor is how many shots are there? How much perfecting do you need to do? Or are you just doing a base grade and sending it off? Um, and this one, like I said, there's 45 shots. So I can spend a good bit of time on each one had about three days for this project. And so there's 45 notes. If it was, you know, like I have a, a, a big series coming up and there's probably going to be 300 to 1200 shots per episode. And there, there's probably going to be four nodes total. Um, and the four that I think I most often rely on, if I'm doing a film look, if I want to have some kind of film print emulation there, I'll have a, uh, a CST, or actually before the CST, I'll have a primaries, which I'll use as my lift gain and gain and balancing all in one. The CST, another primaries for adding some look development, and then usually a film LUT. And then in the uh, post clip grading, that's where I'll have one node and I'll do some big paintbrushes there maybe a, another node for a legalizer where I'll do a little bit of work just to make sure nothing's clipping and we have clean, clean shadows, clean highlights if needed or dirty shadows and, and muddy highlights. I absolutely love it. Um, I would do, um, uh, if I'm working on a long form or even a commercial or anything, like, I mean, recently, like everything includes, you know, pre and post groups, pre group is going to be noise reduction done. Uh, post group is going to be all the CST chingadera with the grain and that. And uh, if I want to do a bleach bypass ENR, that's also going to happen in post um, group. And then on the main, I will have two primaries. So the first one is going to be, you know, like large strokes, like whether I'm doing RGB mixer, whether I'm doing lift gamma gain, the second one is going to be granular. So it's going to be, uh, you know, all log wheels and like, you know, control um, aspects. And then I'm going to have, um, couple of windows. I'm going to have like three or four windows. Uh, but before my windows, I'm going to have an HSL curves because I'm not going to be using qualifiers uh, if it's mm -hmm. long form, especially. So I'm just going to stick with HSL curves and whatever we can do there. And then I'll have like about three windows. Um, if we just, you know, client oh, will always come in and they'll be like, dude, this thing on the cabinet in the back, like, can you bring that down or something like that? So it's just a good idea to have that. Um, and the reason why I'll have three is just like you said, I still want to stay consistent, um, especially when people stumble upon and figure out the ripple tool in resolve, it, it changes yeah. everything, right? So like, <laughs> you know, it just changes absolutely everything. So for that reason, I will, you know, not risk run into a risk to have like one less node. So I think my ideal node tree will be around seven nodes. And that doesn't include like, you know, the pre and post mm. uh, groups. But I feel like that is a very lean, tight node tree uh, that you can just get away with on a lot of your projects. Like, especially when I'm doing uh, my talking heads, stuff like that. That's what I'm using. I'm not really using four to five nodes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's yeah. something I think there's a misconception that you have to have two nodes when really it's just that we want to isolate as many steps of the process into their own nodes so that you can go back and fix any problems and you know exactly where that, that problem is going to be to fix it. Um, it's, it's like I said, if you have 30 steps of a process, you want to have 30 nodes where each one's labeled so you can attack it? Or do you want to have all of that just crammed into one node? Like if you were, if you were moving houses, would you want to take all of your belongings and chunk them into the truck? Or would you put them into boxes that are labeled kitchen, bathroom, you know, stuff like that? Dude, that is so good. We'll just end it on that. Jake, <laughs> this was amazing. This is just a beginning to something really beautiful, man. We're going to be doing so many of these. Um, thank you everybody for all the questions, uh, both communities, Jake's mm -hmm. side, you guys asked amazing questions, my side, excellent questions. Uh, we do this because of you guys. So keep this going. 
much love. And uh, do you have any two cents? Do you want to say something before we? <laughs> no, that knocks it out. Yeah, just thank you guys for allowing us to to you know, actually share the things that we find interesting and talk about them and and be able to uh, to entertain you and hopefully help you guys grow because it it helps us to teach. Um, and obviously, you're one of the 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 big. The, I guess I don't know something that's been on my mind a lot is teaching without being the best in the world <laughs> at that given thing. And neither, I don't think you or me are ever going to be the number one colorist in the world. Right. But we still know more than some people. And there's something that we have that we can teach people. And that helps others. And this, the, just because we're not number one doesn't mean we shouldn't teach. Um, so as long as there's people that are asking to learn, I'll be teaching. Dude, I wish I was as wise as you are at your <laughs> age. All right, brother. Peace. Much awesome. love, Steven. And guys, thank you so much for sticking around till the end. Please leave a five-star review and make sure you're following this channel. I will see you in the next episode.